Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Shmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Alon Stobbins to talk about his most recent book, The Seventh Heaven. An internationally renowned essayist and cultural commentator, Alon Stobbins spent five years traveling from across a dozen countries in Latin America in search of what defines the Jewish communities in the region, whose roots date back to Christopher Columbus's arrival. In the tradition of V.S. Nepal's explorations of India, the Caribbean, and the Arab world, he came back with an extraordinarily vivid travelogue. Ilan talks to families of the Desperacitos in Buenos Aires, to Indian Jews, and to people affiliated with neo-Nazi groups in Patagonia. He also visits Spain to understand the long-term effects of the Inquisition, the American Southwest habitat of secret Jews, and Israel, where immigrants from Latin America have reshaped the Jewish state. Along the way, he looks for the proverbial seventh heaven, which, according to the Talmud, out of a proximity with the divine, the meaning of life in general, and Jewish life in particular becomes clearer. The seventh heaven is a masterful work, and Ilan's undergoing quest to find this convergence between the personal and the historical is really a wonderful read. So welcome, Alon. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you, as always, for joining us in our always now remote locations. Um, uh, and before we get started, if I may, a mazel tov. Uh, very exciting news reached us that Seventh Heaven uh, received the 2020 Natan Notable Book Award from the Jewish Book Council. Well, two days ago it was announced, I believe. Yes, thank you so much. I'm, I'm pleased and, and grateful and very humbled. Ah, Well, um, and now I ask you to forgive me because I did skip a longer bio. Um, I think many of our listeners, safe to say, are very familiar with your name and your background. Um, you are beyond prolific, so in the interest of time, I skipped it so we could get talking about your latest work. Um, and I guess my first question, Alon, is what drew you to explore the topic and ultimately write the book? Well, uh, thank you again, Lisa, for having me in the schmooze. I love uh, schmoozing with you and uh, with the listeners of the Yiddish Book Center. Um, what uh, drove me to the topic was really a certain kind of angst of, or in Yiddish spilkes that I had uh, already building up in me. I had moved uh, from Mexico to the United States in the mid 80s and uh, roughly my life uh, was divided into two halves, the before and the after. I realized that I was both an insider and an outsider on both these regions in that uh, through writing I had turned myself into a kind of bridge uh, or connection between the two and I wanted with those spilkes, with that anxiety, to go back to Latin America and see the place that was once my home, how it had changed, what were the factors in terms of Jewish life that had defined my own family and the many families that had come before mine that were Jewish, either Sephardic or Ashkenazi, in what way Latin America had become a safe heaven for Jews uh, that is different from other parts of the world, Russia or Europe, the United States, Africa, Asia. I wanted to get into the DNA, into the, 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 the essential aspects of that region and in, in doing it in a way that would open up that, uh, that fiesta of uh, cultural possibilities that Jewish life is there 
for readers that know little about. That is mainly, I guess, what drove me forward. The fact that Latin America, that the Latin America that is defined by Jews uh, for over 500 years remains uh, incognito, remains or, or at least eclipsed, not well known. Uh, and I wanted to be able to explore and explain what, uh, what that uh, mystique, what the complexity of that encounter between Jews and Hispanics in that, in that continent uh, is, has been and will be all about. And I guess it leads me to want to ask you this question about sort of um, the Jewish journey to North America, to the States, um, because I think if you go back a long time ago in colonial times, there was a huge Jewish population which then began to migrate north. Is that correct? That's right. In, in the foundation of uh, New York City, for instance, was, uh, it was, was left to the hands of some uh, Sephardic Jews in, in, in Brazil, Portuguese speaking, that moved north uh, into what was then New Amsterdam. So, yeah, the connection really goes uh, back into the colonial period. Um, in, in terms of your work, uh, which is always fascinating to have a channel on, because so much of your work, I hope it's safe to say, bridges both an interest in exploring Jewish culture and self-exploration. And I'm always curious, what sets you in a certain direction? Is it that sort of ongoing personal quest, uh, or is it the history and and, and I guess, where do they intersect for you? Yeah, I love that question, Lisa, and I appreciate it enormously. Um, you are absolutely right. For me, the, the journey has to, uh, to be meaningful, has to happen at two levels. The external, how is the world changing uh, while I'm in it? And the internal, how is it that I'm changing inside as a result of the changes outside and vice versa? In this particular case, the whole impetus uh, to write the book came, well, I would say from the admiration that I have for travel writing. I think that we, we are, up until recently with, the, with COVID-19 and the pandemic, uh, we really were traveling all the time as a civilization, but not often seeing what was in front of our eyes and noses. We would arrive to the uh, pyramids in Egypt or to the Eiffel Tower and then take a selfie and go and come back or, or have a hamburger or have a baguette or, or have a falafel. Uh, for me, travel is about the change, uh, that internal change that I was telling you and the external change. And um, there were two triggers that set this book in motion. One was the reading of a Yiddish book called Hurban Galicia, or The Destruction of Galicia, by a masterful ethnographer and playwright of the late 19th century and early 20th century that many of your listeners will know, Ansky, the author of the D book, who just around the First World War, a little after, decided that the he sensed that the Jews of the Pale of Settlement would not exist the way they existed for too long more 
in that it was, it behooved him to go and try to keep a record ethnographically of what was happening so that if something changed, future generations would be able to, to get a taste of the folklore, particularly the folklore, because he was very interested in, in storytelling and in, in superstition. Um, and he went around with what was then early versions of tape recorders and photographs and uh, talked a lot with people in Galicia, uh, in other parts of Poland and the Ukraine, and came back and wrote a four-volume uh, travelogue ethnography that in English has appeared as the destruction of Galicia in a single volume. And it's an incredible statement of a civilization that is no more. And for me, when I read that book, I had the impression that uh, Ansky was calling me and telling me, you come from Latin America, the changes that are happening in the Jewish world in general, and in Latin America right now, are incredibly fast and in, in deep. The world might not be the same in 10 years or 25 years, and you have the, the, the knowledge of this region that would enable people to know in the future what it was like at the beginning of the 21st century. So I thought that I would do something like Ansky did, try to get um, a longitudinal um, survey uh, of the landscape of Latin American Jews. And the second thing that happened to me, Lisa, is that more or less at the same time, I had a dream. And that is what you were saying about the internal voyage and the external voyage. The external voyage was that was reading that book, the Hurbun Galicia by, by Ansky. The internal one was this dream that I had that um, in, in which I found myself going back to the house where I grew up in Mexico as a child and uh, not, not recognizing the house and ringing the bell and not being allowed in. And getting, I woke up from that dream with a sense of having been expelled from my own house at the very end of that dream, there was a, 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 a disheveled man outside of the house who was speaking to me in a language that I couldn't quite understand, telling me that, that the place was forbidden to me, that I could no longer enter it. And so this sense that on the one hand, I wanted to uh, be able to give an account, a chronicle of what Jews in Latin America are up to right now, what the history is, how they have come to this moment, and the second, that maybe I no longer have a home there, that uh, if I do, I needed to go back and explore that home. These two things came together in this need to write a book that would be the result of travels to various parts of Latin America. So it's interesting because I wanted to ask you what the thread, you know, a little bit about the thread. And I think that that explains it. How did it unfold for you as you went along writing this and learning more? Um, I decided to um, go to two or three friends of mine that uh, whose friendship I, I cherish very much, one in Buenos Aires, uh, one in Mexico City, and one in Cuba, and ask them if they would uh, either come with me uh, to at least part of the trips that I wanted to do, or at least set me off by giving me contacts that uh, would help me explore 
in depth, not as a tourist, but as a traveler, what those, what those countries were. Uh, Argentina is really the counterpoint to the United States in the Americas. Uh, Jews in large, large, large numbers went to Argentina at the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century. At one point, Argentina even competed with uh, 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 Palestine, uh, Israel, uh, for to be the future Jewish state. Uh, Herzl discussed it in one, uh, debated it in one of the uh, Zionist Congresses. And uh, there were very many settlements in the Pampas uh, where Jews met the gauchos that I wanted to go and visit and see with my own eyes. I wanted to also see the ruins of the AMIA, the Jewish Community Center that was the target of a terrorist attack in 1994 that pretty much made Latin American Jews, particularly Argentine Jews, uh, contemporaries of Middle Eastern, uh, of the Middle Eastern conflict and talk to the survivors, uh, see why it happened, how it happened. And so I started uh, kind of compartmentalizing various parts of Latin America and I decided that in writing, in traveling there, I would also write about their respective histories. Uh, when the first Jews arrived, uh, where were they buried? I visited many cemeteries, went to see the tombstones. I went to Northern Mexico and Santa Fe in New Mexico in Arizona and Texas to see the life of the crypto Jews. So in the end, it was really trying to build a history of Latin American Jews uh, but non-sequential, more like a travel through the geography of Latin America and through the various crucial moments in immigration waves that have defined that region. And it's an incredible region. There are Ashkenazim and Sephardim and Mizrahim. There have been anarchists and communists and socialists. There have been people that um, uh, believe that, the 13, that they lost 10 tribes uh, are in Latin America and some indigenous tribes uh, consider themselves descendants of, of uh, the, the lost people of Israel. There are groups right now, neo-Nazi groups that are convinced that uh, Israel is trying to build a new Jewish state in Patagonia where they can finally get rid of the conflict that they have with the Arabs and be in peace. There, there's kind of fancifulness, there's craziness, there's also a lot of realism. There's the desire of immigrants to build a, a new home. It's just a fascinating place of about half a million Jews, maybe a little over, that are very diverse politically, ethnically, religiously, uh, that have participated in many ways in social, cultural, political, religious life. I just adore the region. Your passion and your curiosity I think is just it's infused in everything you do, Alon, which makes having a conversation with you, reading your work, seeing your performances, all all the richer for it. Thank you. And again, one thing um, that I've always wanted to ask you, or more recently wanted to talk to you about, is to hear your thoughts on storytelling, because I think your work is so um, it's so woven together pulling in different mm -hmm. things. As, as you say, you're writing something about history, but you're a tr you are approaching it in this instance as, you know, as a traveler, um, at, at their personal connections, et cetera. I think you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. 
so what do you think about storytelling and, and how you resolve and go deeper into subjects and experience, but from a very personal perspective? I love this question too, Lisa. I, I, it goes so into the essence of a, what, I, what I try to do and how I, I conceive and perceive myself. I believe that everything that we do is a story. We are framed by stories and we ourselves are stories, either that we tell or that simply by existing are told. Um, sometimes those stories are easy to understand. They have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Sometimes those stories are very complex and they trap us. They become labyrinths that suck our air and make us feel as if we, um, as if we don't fully belong. Um, I think that values are passed on through storytelling. I think knowledge is passed on through storytelling. I think the best of cultures is registered in the DNA of storytelling. And Jewish culture is, is, is the art of telling ourselves and the world the story of how we came to be who we are. Um, I, I understand this almost in a religious sense. I think that uh, the fact that the Bible is told in the form of micro stories that build up into a very epic narrative is a... Uh, is a statement of how we Jews exist in our lives. The, our holidays are, are built around stories, the, the story of Passover, the story of Purim, um, the, all these stories that we need in order to explain our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Um, I, it took me a little while, Lisa, to realize that the, the reason why I'm on earth is to tell stories in that the most, um, the most uh, demanding uh, uh, aspect that I have to instill in myself is that a story has to be well told. There are many ways to tell a story, but in the end, once the story is out, you feel that that way is the only way. And it has to do with how you build the language. It has to do with how you structure the story. It often feels as if stories are, are told to me and I'm just like a scribe or a, a, an intermediary. But in the end, everything that I do from teaching to, to, uh, to traveling, to writing, to performing is built around stories. And the stories that I um, sense are the most meaningful and hopefully the stories that can pass on certain moral principles and certain views of who we are today into the future. Um, and I, I'll conclude with telling you this. I think that we all, I, I don't think, it's a statement, we all perish. We're all here very, very ephemerally, momentarily. You and I are talking uh, now. We're fortunate to have this encounter and uh, in some years, neither of us will be here. But what will remain is the stories that we, that we left behind uh, in the form of radio, in the form of books, in the form of plays. And if those stories can speak not only to the present audience, but to a future audience and speak to them in ways that, of course, we don't know how they will react, but yet for them to find meaning in them, I think that our lives are justified, that, it, that, that stories can go beyond the, the very transient present in which they emerge.
And I think stories well told, too, send us individually on, on journeys. Um, they may prompt a curiosity or, mm-hmm. yeah, um, teach you something that you want to further um, understand. So if, if you look backwards, Elon, if, was there one book that you read at some point in your life which just made you realize that this is what you wanted to do in terms of writing and storytelling? And, and, and again, the, the very unique way that you do this. Um, there are two or three books, Lisa, uh, that I cannot conceive of the world without. Um, in fact, I, it's easier for me to think of the world without, say, the color yellow or the smell of rice than without these three books. Uh, so important they are for me. One of them is Don Quixote, uh, the masterpiece by, by Cervantes, uh, written in two parts in 16, or published in two parts in 1605 and 1615. Um, it's a book that I hated the first time I read because my father told me I needed to read it and I felt that it was an obligation. And I threw away my, my the copy that he gave me in, in response kind of a, a, as a, as a, as a rebellious act. But I feel that um, if there is a manual for how to live life, it is that book. It, it, it really is about friendship. It's about finding oneself. It's a book of travel, of, of, a, of a man who fancies himself as a knight and he's a fool, but he doesn't care that he's a fool and, the, and he navigates the world and then he convinces everybody that his dream is is true that uh, he's not a fool. He is a knight if he wants to be a knight. That's amazing. Um, I I read Don Quixote every year or every two years. I teach it. I've translated it. I love that book. Uh, another book that for me is so essential is Sholem Aleichem's Tevye. Um, to me, that book is so affecting and effective. Um, it is a book about parents and children. It's about about. It's a book about how the world, the, how progress can be regressive. Um, it's a book about a man uh, communicating with God, not always having the right words. Um, and it's a book that Sholem Aleichem wrote in installments, not always knowing where he was going. I love how that book is rowdy and and chaotic, and and yet it kind of falls into place. I love the different daughters. And I love the personality of Tevier, this man who is larger than life and also very humble and very limited. And then the, the third book is Are the Stories by, by Borges, the, the Argentine writer who lived between 1899 and 1986 and wrote to me some of the best stories and, and essays of the 20th century. And I remember reading them when I was 18 years old and thinking, oh my God, they are so difficult and he's so pretentious. But I think that those stories have truly become a roadmap for me. I've returned to them in terms of happiness and in terms of sorrow. I've translated some of them, I teach them. And those books for me are are, are really kind of my companions, uh, books that I cherish very much. I have them in many editions. Uh, I give them away when I can. Um, they have an evangelical aspect to them in the best sense of the word of trying to show others that uh, civilization can look grim as it does right now, but uh, 
in the end, there's a lot of good things that emerge even of these very difficult moments. Well, Ilan, thank you for um, an always interesting conversation, and again for taking us along on on your journey through all these books. This latest book again is the Seventh Heaven, and where can our listeners find a copy of the book? The book is available. Well, in the times of COVID, uh, who knows exactly? But the book is available uh, online uh, at Amazon and other. Uh, um, a, a online providers. It's a, it's available in books. Um, it is soon going to be available also in Spanish and in French. Great. Again, thank you so much. Stay safe, stay well, and um, keep writing. Thank you very much, Lisa. I really appreciate this conversation. It's okay. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Sarah Blakefeld. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon. Thank you.